0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Now, it's really good to be here. I. Uh... I, I, it's surprising. I have quite a few connections here. And uh, Scott, it's good seeing you. And, uh, I know Chris uh, uh, Huckins. And I uh, did some work with him. And Jer Stewart, I'm uh, good friends with. So I feel like I've, I've had connections here for a while. So it's, it's great to be able to come and, and visit you all and, and uh, deliver the word here. Went uh, tubing yesterday. I'll, I'll tell you this. Okay, from Minnesota. Um, I haven't been in triple-digit heat for probably 20 years. I, I don't remember last time it was 100 degrees. And we, 104, cried out loud. This is Infernoville, man. Uh, I know it's, a little, it's kind of unusual, but uh, anyways, it, it, it's good to be here. If it's going to be 104, well, I, no finer people I'd rather spend it with. If we're going to burn, let's burn together, okay. So I, I'm titling this message, um, Investing in Your Future, something like that, or Investing in Your Real Future. Um, so here's Jesus is giving this, These teachings and uh, a guy Comes up and, and he's ticked off because he Says you know, Jesus you've Got this authority people listen to you people Respect you they look up to you well you Use that authority to resolve this dispute In my family my brother Isn't sharing any of the inheritance Because according to Jewish law the Firstborn got all the inheritance and Then it was up to the firstborn's good graces If he was going to share it with anybody else and apparently This guy's brother was stingy and Didn't want to share it with him so he's going to, he goes to Jesus, will you just take out my cause and settle this dispute. And I love Jesus' response. He goes, man, do I, you know, who made me your judge or the arbiter over you? Basically he's saying, do I look like a lawyer? <laughs> who, who put me in charge of this? I, I love this. It's just worth noting that you know, Jesus got asked a lot of questions. Uh, people wanted to use his authority for all sorts of different purposes and he never let it happen. There's a lot of questions. Most questions Jesus is asked, he doesn't answer. He, he, he'll come back with his own kind of response. So here it's like, I, I, I didn't come to, to be your lawyer, dude, uh, but I did come to warn you about this. Be careful about all kinds of greed. That law may be unjust, but what concerns me more is what's in your heart that makes you so ticked off that you're not getting your fair share from your brother. Let's talk about greed. He says, be, 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 be aware of all kinds of Greed. Because there's a lot of different kinds of greed. I mean, there's usually think thing about greed for money. Uh, but you can also be greedy for fame, for attention, for pleasure, for comfort, for convenience. Uh, greed is, is you can define it as an inordinate desire for something. Financially, you can define it as, as hoarding more than you need when your neighbors have less than they need. Hoarding more than you need. It's just an absorption with yourself. And this... Rich Farmer here exhibits that kind of greed. So he has a, a bumper-year crop. I mean, this must have been really incredible. Uh, he, he, he just had enough crop where he could now retire on this. And so he says, what am I going to do? I've got all this crop, and I, 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 it's more than I can store. Oh, what a problem. This is the problem of evil, folks. What do you do when you have too much surplus? It comes up with an idea. I know what I will do, I'll build build bigger barns, and then I can store up all that crop. You know, this guy won the crop lottery, apparently, and so he's gonna just store all up, and now me and my family and my loved ones, we can just coast. Sit back, enjoy the good life, eat, be merry. We're, we're, We're financially settled. Now, what is wrong with that? You got a good year? Well, you won the lottery, so you think, oh man, I'm going to, I'll store it up, and I'm just going to, you know, have my future settled, me and my family are going to be taken care of, done deal. What's wrong with that? Actually, if we're honest, I mean, that list looks like good old-fashioned capitalism. Isn't it? If you won the lottery to say, hey, I, I think I'll just put this in the bank and live off this and the principal. We, got, we, we just got our good retirement account. What's so wrong with that? It's, it's uh, I think, what capitalism runs on. You earned it. You got it. Enjoy it. The assumption is that the goal of life is to live life as much as like, a, like it's a vacation playground as possible. The one who has the most convenient and has the most fun and has to work the least uh, is the winner. And so capitalism rewards that. You, you, you earned it, man. Just coast on that. And yet God says to this guy, you fool. You're a fool. Because this night, your, your life will be required of you. We don't know when we're going to die. This night, your life will be required of you. And then what will happen to all of this wealth? Who's going to have it now? You, he calls the man a fool. Um, Because he only thought about what I want to do with this money and how I will benefit from this money and how my family will benefit from this money. So he says, when you die, what will you have to show for it? And the answer is nothing. So Jesus says, what is the profit of a person if you got all this wealth in the world, but you're not rich towards God? Because there's coming a time when your wealth towards God will be the only thing that matters. There's coming a time. And it's it's sooner than you think. (laughs) Whether it's it's you dying individually or this planet dying, it's sooner than you think. I know when you're young, you think you got forever. But uh, when you hit about 65, you realize that you don't have forever. Well, you do, but not in this form. And uh, um, man, it's just going, it goes like like that. This night, your life could be taken from you, and then what will you have to show for it? What do you gain if you have all this wealth in the world, but yet you're not rich towards God? And the answer is nothing. And that is lost. See, this farmer forgot uh, that uh, he's a human being made in the image of God. And he forgot that, that, that as a human being made in the image of God, um, it's not just about him being blessed. He's, he's got a responsibility to, to, to imitate God and God's generosity. He's got a responsibility to take care of others, to share uh, his wealth with others. This, this, this farmer forgot that life wasn't meant to be a playground where you could have as much fun as possible while your neighbor's starving to death. No, he forgot that he was put here on on the planet for a purpose, for a reason. And ultimately, Jesus says that reason is all summed up in this one thing. Love God, love yourself, love your neighbor as yourself, and love the earth and the animal kingdom, which was our first mandate. Take care of the earth and the animal kingdom. That sums it all up right there. But this farmer forgot that. And so when he has a bumper year crop, wins the crop lottery, he only thinks about himself. I know what I'm going to do. He forgot that... He didn't own this land. I mean, maybe he legally does, but it says the land was productive. That, God's the one who gets the credit for that. he didn't, he forgot to give thanks to God. He forgot to acknowledge that, God, this is all, this is all yours. He forgot to acknowledge that he is called to uh, live under the reign of God and, and to submit all of his finances and decisions to God. He forgot that he's supposed to say, God, how would you direct me to, to steward these resources here? He was lord of his own life, lord of his own thinking, called his own shot, lord of his own wallet. And so it settles it. I will just cash in on this, and uh, me and my family will be blessed. What does it profit a person if they are wealthy in this world, get all the wealth you could ever dream of, but are not rich towards God? The answer is that when this show wraps up, it will profit you nothing. It will be total loss. I want us to see why this is the case. It's not just an arbitrary thing that God comes up with. But here's the thing. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, that love never ends. And it's the only thing that never ends. Even faith will come to an end. Even hope will come to an end. Prophecies, knowledge, it will all come to an end except this one thing. And that's why Paul says this is the most valuable thing. It's love. Love's the one thing. Since God is love, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Love's the only thing that never began. It's the only thing that will never end. When God's kingdom comes in fullness and, and, and uh, we are living in the new heavens and the new earth, everything there will be consistent with the love of God that is revealed on Calvary. I mean, Calvary, the cross, is our definition of love. First John 3.8. Here's how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so also we should lay down our life for one another. So God is love. Love looks like the cross. It looks like self-sacrificial, other-oriented love ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. Uh, that love is the one thing that never began and will never end. And, and when God's kingdom has come in fullness, everything that's inconsistent with that love, that humble, other-oriented, self-sacrificial love, everything that's inconsistent with it will be, be done away with. It will be banished. In the book of Revelation, the way they put it, and it's, of course, symbolic, but nothing unclean can enter into the new Jerusalem you got to check all that at the door. If it's not consistent with the the character of God, the holiness of God, the love of God, well, then it's got to be checked at the door. It's not allowed in the kingdom because the kingdom is where God reigns, and God is love. And so it's where love reigns. And so when God's kingdom comes in fullness, everything, every square inch of the cosmos will in its own unique way reflect the love of God and participate in the love of God. The whole creation will be a, a, a dance with the triune God. I love your motto here, uh, the reconciliation of all things. That's the ultimate vision. All things in heaven and earth, this is Colossians 1, 19 and 20, are reconciled by means of, of, of the cross. The love of God right now is in the process of reconciling all things, bringing God's shalom and peace to every square inch of the cosmos. And there'll come a time when this earth will be purged and we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. And then the only thing that will survive, the only thing that will be present there will be, will be love, God's love. So, it means that everything about you and everything about me that's inconsistent with the character of God, it will be burned away. We have to leave it at the door, it's going to be gone. And the one thing that's going to be eternal about us is the one thing that is eternal, and that is God's love. That's God's love. Uh, this is what I think the final judgment's all about. And so, it's just very appropriate since we're having another 103 degree day, let's talk about the judgment of God. The final judgment is, 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 is about asking the question, to what degree are you a person who is now consistent with God's love, and to what degree are you a person who's not? Paul describes this judgment this way in 1 Corinthians 3. He says this, starting with verse 11. No one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So there's a foundation. It's Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation, apparently we're supposed to be building on this foundation. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. So it's a day of revelation. And it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. It is, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Okay, so, so here's the thing. I, I think what Paul is saying is that God is love. And so there's a, a judgment day. We all come before the judgment throne of Christ. And that is where we come into the presence of God, come into the presence of God's undiluted love with all lies stripped away, all the facades and deceptions that we believe about God, all gone, and now we come into the presence of God's pure, undiluted love, and we come as we really are with all of our pretenses, all of our social little facades that we create, all the you know, kind of constructed selves that we, that we use to cover up our faults and, and present ourselves where it's all gone, And now the real us, the naked us, comes into the presence of the real God. And this is the final judgment. And coming into God's presence will reveal what is true about us. So usually when the New Testament talks about the judgment of God, it's the day of revelation as it is here. The fire will make clear what is real. That's the only thing that's being answered on the judgment day is what is real. And so to the degree that, that, that we have built on this foundation, things that are consistent with the fire of God's love, things like, Gold, silver, and precious stones, they don't get burned up by the fire. They get purified by the fire. And so insofar as we have a character that is, is consistent with uh, the, the, the love of God, it is purified, it's perfected. And that, will, that is our reward. But insofar as we have a character that is not consistent with this foundation that Jesus Christ has laid, uh, to that degree, that, that gets burned up. And, of course, Paul is talking metaphorically here, but it, it, it gets banished. you got to leave that at the door. You don't take that with you. And then you suffer loss. It's not a question of salvation because the foundation has been laid. Paul doesn't question that. If you're a believer, the foundation is laid. The question is, what reward will you have based on what you built on this foundation. All throughout our life, the Holy Spirit is within us, always encouraging us to, to, he's always moving us in a Christ-like direction, which is in a love direction. And the question that we have to answer with our lives is, to what degree do we yield to that spirit and become the loving people that God has created us, saved us, and ordained us to be? And to what degree do we resist this and choose self and choose greed, choose selfishness, Over love. The only thing we take with us, the only thing we take with us is the one eternal thing, and that is love. That's love. With every decision we make, you see, with every decision we make, we're moving our character down the road a a, a, a notch. And and every decision we make is either making us more Christ like or less Christ like. I showed there's some neutral things, but uh, our character is being formed. And the more you choose love, the more your character is formed into love, the greater your capacity. To love is, and that, that then leads to you wanting to, to love more. You, you build this momentum. But the opposite is also true, that as, as we choose self, choose greed, just choose to say, how can I benefit from the things that I profit from? To the degree that we do that, our character is not loving. We lessen our capacity to participate in God's love, and that is our loss. You're still saved, but Paul says, only as one through the flames. And, and it's a, it, an idiom for saying, you know, yeah, you got out of that burning house, but you have nothing to show for it. You, you, you saved your life, but nothing else. You've just made it out. That skin of your teeth, so to speak. And some believers will be like that. And their capacity then to dance in, to participate in the glorious love of God will be less than those who have got, developed characters that uh, have, have, have deepened that capacity. And that's the reward, that's the loss. The only thing we take with us, folks, is that love. Our selfishness has got to be burned away. Our greed's got to be burned away. Our self-righteousness has got to be burned away. Our tendency to judge others has got to be burned away. Everything inconsistent with the love of God's got to be burned away. Our our vanity, our pride, our propped-up egos, our apathy towards the poor our apathy towards the lost and our apathy towards those who are hurting and those who are lonely and those who are friendless our apathy towards god's earth which he gave us to care for and the animal kingdom which he entrusted us to care for it's got to be burned up it's not consistent with the love of god and loves the only eternal thing our craving for money our craving for fame our craving our clinging to idols that give us a false sense of of life As we said here earlier, every thought, word, and deed that we engage in that is not consistent with the love of God, it's got to be burned up. It has no place in the kingdom. The only thing that's eternal about us is love. We're only eternal insofar as we're cultivating this loving character. It's the only thing we take with us. Which, if you think about this then, means this. The most important question we should be answering every day of our life is how can we become the most loving version of ourselves as we can possibly be? Uh, That should be the goal of every day, 24-7. How can I become the most loving version? Because when this ends, and it might for you end tonight, I'm sorry, it happens all the time. Maybe you'll have another 50 years, maybe 80 years. You know how short that is compared to eternity? Uh, It could happen at any time. And the most important question for us to be asking, as long as we have breath, as long as we have life, is, how can I become the most Christ-like, most loving version of myself as I can possibly be? And make it concrete. Every day, how can I love my spouse a little bit better? Even if you've been married for 44 years, as Shelly and I have, I, I, I still got to be asking the question, how can I love her better? Which is, remember, the love is, like, is the cross. It's always self-sacrificial. That's always other-oriented. It's ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. So you show what another's worth by what you're willing to sacrifice for them. That's what love is. That's, what, that, that's the kind of love that God is. So how can I sacrifice better for my wife to, to ascribe worth to my wife and, and to my children and to my family, to my friends? How, how can I better love my neighbors? How can I better love the strangers on the street? How can I better love that ornery boss I got to work with? Or here's a good one. How can I better love, because we're called to love everybody, how can I better love those politicians that I think are destroying America and that drive me absolutely crazy? I'm called to love them. We're called to love no ifs, ands, or buts. Paul says this in Ephesians 5. Uh, One of my favorite verses, he says, live in love. First he says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Uses this Greek word, mimitai. We get the word mimic from it. To mimic someone. So he says, mimic God. Imitate God. Do exactly what you see God doing, is what he's saying. Ephesians 5.1. Now how do you do that? Because God's invisible. I can't, how do you imitate God? I don't see him doing anything. Uh, I know he's working everywhere, but, but I can't like imitate it. But see, then Paul shows how we can imitate God. Because he says in verse two, live in love. Here's what it means to imitate God. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. What it means to imitate God is to imitate Jesus because Jesus is God incarnate. And, and more specifically, we're supposed to imitate the love that Jesus showed us on the cross. We're to live in this. Now that means if you're taking a breath, it's the right time to love. And if you've got any brainwave activity at all, it's the right time to love. Uh, if you're alive, it's the right time to love. Live in love. It means that this isn't something we're supposed to do sometimes but not others. It's, it's like there's no off switch. Uh, to this mandate to, to love others uh, and, and to love them in, in self-sacrificial ways. It doesn't matter whether they're a friend or a foe, whether they benefit you or they harm you, whether they're holding a bouquet of flowers out to you or a gun to your head. Our call is to love them. Jesus says in Matthew 5, love your enemies and bless those who persecute, persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Because he loves like the rain falls and he, he loves like the sun shines on the just and the unjust, on the righteous and the wicked. God loves indiscriminately, like the rain falls. The rain doesn't pick and choose who it's going to love it just, or who's going to get wet, it just, gets, it just wets people. And the sun doesn't choose who it's going to shine on, it just shines. So also God doesn't pick and choose who he loves, he's just God, he is love, and that's how we're to love. And when we love like that, that's how we show that we're children of the Father in heaven. We have a capacity to love the way he loves. But it's indiscriminate. It doesn't hang at all upon the merits of the person in front of you. It hangs only on your desire to reflect the character of the Father at all times. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Um, there's, there's no off to this. It's indiscriminate. It's as countercultural as it could possibly be. As we're in a culture here that's increasingly... I mean, if you don't hate my enemies as much as I hate your, my enemies, then maybe you're one of my enemies. Let's get into this. It's heresy now to love your enemies. How dare you? It's offensive that you would ever love a low life like this. But we are called to love all people, all times, no if and buts, maybe, exception clause, fine print, or anything else. What I love about this is it's so simple. You never have to think about this. Hmm, should I love or not? You never have to. No, is the sun shining? <laughs> you gotta love. Is the rain falling? You gotta love. Are you breathing? Yep, right time to love. Brain activity? Oh, right time to love. <laughs> it, it, it does not matter who's in front of you. It's, it's so simple. And see, here's the thing is that Every time, with every decision we make to love, with every decision we make to love, we are um, forming our character in a loving direction. And with every decision we make to love, we're, we're deepening our capacity to love, uh, which means we're deepening our capacity to participate in uh, and dance with the love of the triune God throughout eternity. And that is our reward, or the lack of it, is our loss. And we're to be doing this all the time. Uh, this, this, this is our, our most fundamental calling, Live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. You're investing in your future. Uh, Jesus talked a whole lot about this. Don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth where thieves can break in and steal and where the moth can, can corrupt it and rust can get in there and corrupt it. Every treasure that you can grab onto in this world, however wonderful it may be in this lifetime, it's temporary, it's transitory, and it's always threatened. That's why people who cling to idols and this is their... You know, this is their kingdom. This is a reward. <clears throat> There's anxiety there because <clears throat> you have to worry about maybe you're going to lose it someday. Maybe someone's going to take it from you. Maybe a fire is going to burn up the mansion that you just built. Uh, all the kingdoms of this world, all the riches of this world, all of it is transitory. It will come to an end. Look around. There's nothing that you see that's going to be surviving uh, throughout eternity. It'll be a transformed, a new heaven, a new earth, but you now, everything we built in this world is... is, is well, you have your reward now. Uh, but the question is, what does it profit you if you gain all the wealth of this world, which is perpetually threatened and causes all this anxiety and eventually fades away if you're not rich towards God? So I'm going to end by giving you a little assignment here, which is, if, if you consider me your financial advisor, uh, this will make you rich. I, I want to make you rich. Uh, but I want to make you rich in eternity. And, and, and so consider this. You know, in the ancient world, uh, if you read Aristotle, Cicero, all the classic Western authors, they all understood, and these are all pagans, this is before the time of Christ, but they all understood that that there's a moral order to things. And therefore they understood that there's a moral obligation every human being has to be the best version of themselves that they can possibly be. It really is self-evident if you think about it. It's just that we never really take it seriously. But to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And we can only be ourselves moment by moment. One moment at a time. And so the question is always, how can I be the best version of myself right now? And these pagans understood then that life is a project. And the project is yourself. To you work on yourself, and it takes intentionality. And that's the purpose of life. They understood it. The church adopted that philosophy, because it's a very biblical philosophy. And throughout church history, that's kind of been the thought is that that every life is a human project. And the goal here is because because we're preparing for eternity. The goal is to become the, most, the best version, the most virtuous version, and the most loving version of yourself that, that you can possibly be. Now, we've lost that the last 200 years. With the Industrial Revolution, dollar science started to dangle before our eyes, and now character becomes irrelevant. We took character totally out of the law when we invented this thing called corporations that are just money-making machines that don't care at all about ethics or who gets harmed or whatever. It's just make the money. That's all that matters. And so character's been taken out of the, the equation. And now... I mean, there are still people who, who say my life is my project. i got work, to work on myself. But usually today, it's more like their definition of what it is to be the best version of themselves is how can I be the most successful? How can I get the most money? How can I get the most influence and power and things like that? Very few people today are saying, how can I be the most loving person that I could possibly be, the most Christ-like person I could possibly be? That is our challenge to take this, this whole life right here, folks. We are, we are like... We're, we're, like in a, we're, we're like fetuses in the embryo, in, in the uterus. This, is our, this was never meant to be the permanent state of things. This is the prequel to the real show. This isn't the real show. Don't grab onto stuff. This is the prequel. This is the preparation time uh, where we're preparing for eternity. It's like the, the unborn baby is preparing to be birthed into the real world. We're getting, we're, being, we're getting ready to be birthed into the real world, which is the kingdom of God. The question is, is what kind of, how healthy will we be when we're born in that world? How great will our capacity be? It's like, if God is the sun, we're all mirrors, and we're all going to reflect the sun. It's just that some will be bigger mirrors than others. And our time right now is to be used not to turn this into our little playground and, and just coast and have as much fun as possible to live the American dream. No, it's to carry out the will of God and to become the kind of people that God has called us and is empowering us to be. And that's the most loving version of ourselves that we can possibly be. So here's the assignment. Love is a verb. Love is a verb. I mean, you can also use it as a noun. But when you're commanded to love, that's a verb. And our, the goal is for us to be verbing love, be verb love, to become the noun of love, like God is. So our character, we're not just people who choose to love, we're people who are loving It is our nature to be loving. And now we're like God. Now we're demonstrating that we're children of our Father in heaven. Um, So it's a verb. Now, if we're supposed to be living in love 24 7, that means there's a verb that we're supposed to be doing all day long. It's the verb of love. So, how do you do that? Now, you you can walk around life, and you should, uh, looking for needs. Here we see a need and meet it. Where are other people who are hurting? Is there something you could do to help this situation, whatever? And that's good. Do that. Walk with that mind frame. But I, I submit to you that you can, there's something else you can do that will be, you can perpetually every day, all day long, be investing in eternity, in your eternal retirement account. And, and, and that is just this begin to cultivate a habit. When you see a person, um, or even when you think about a person, consider it your most fundamental job description as a Jesus follower to agree with God that that person was worth Jesus dying for. And then just bless them. Honor the inherent worth that they have because Jesus was willing to die for them. And since God was willing to pay an unsurpassable price for them, that means they have unsurpassable worth. They could not be more precious than they are. And our job, Christianity 101, is to agree with God about that. And, 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 bless, and now, love is self-sacrificial, ascribing worth to another, cost to yourself. Well, here's the cost. It's very small, but it pays eternal dividends. Take a moment, get your mind off yourself, bless that person, agree with God about the worth of that person. That's a little sacrifice there. You know, you, you had to stop thinking about groceries for a second to do that. But man, you just invested in eternity and you moved your character in that Christ-like direction uh, a, a little more. Sprinkle that in throughout the day. Um, You'll notice when you begin to do this that, that you have all sorts of other things going on in your head about people that you notice throughout the day. We don't even notice how much we gossip about people in our head, but we do. Ooh, I can't believe she would wear that. I could, we just have this chatter going on. All of that is inconsistent with the love of God because you're not ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. In fact, what we do when we judge people is we're ascribing worth to ourselves at cost to them. I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not a loser like that guy. You see, but when you commit to living in love, this is what it means to take every thought captive to Christ. You purge from your mind all the garbage that you have there about other people, and this is so simple. You zero it down to love. The way we put it at Woodland Hills Church is that unless someone has invited you in on their life to help you live out the kingdom walk, and we all need people like that who get to speak into my life. We all need that. But unless someone has invited you to do that, you're only allowed one opinion about them. And that's the one thing you know about them, and that is that God thought that they were worth dying for. And your most fundamental job as a disciple is to agree with God about that. It doesn't matter if you approve or disapprove of their lifestyle or their clothes or the way they're behaving or the way they smell. or it doesn't, Nothing else matters. Set it all aside. Just agree with God about this. and Just love them and bless them. And sometimes when you're doing that, you may notice something that you can make a difference on, like, you know, that person could use some help carrying their groceries out to the car or, or whatever, but you're walking with a kingdom mindset. We are conditioned by our culture not to do this. We're conditioned by our culture, Proverbs is just our fallen nature, to be greedy, to think about ourselves. To be, to, We get up and we got a narrative of what we're going to do this day and we decide it and we go about it and it's about furthering our own agenda and having our own pleasures and fun and all the rest. And we believe in God, it's just that we never invite him into anything. And that's what we're conditioned to do. We're conditioned to chase the American dream, which means that whoever gets to live their life as much like a vacation as possible, they're the winners. But folks, we know that we're not here to live life as much on vacation as possible. Uh, we have, we're here for a purpose, for a reason, and it goes on for all eternity. What does the profit a person to gain all the wealth of the world but are not rich towards God? You're going to come up empty. and It'll be lost. Live every day to be wealthy towards God. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Store up for yourselves a tremendous treasure in heaven, and you can thank me on the other side. Man, Dad, dude, I, I remember that message, and it made me rich. You can thank me then. Uh, Coming up, we're going to have a communion now. God bless.